Hello, this is Mpo Matipa, curator and founder of African Mobilities. And for this, our final podcast of the African Mobilities podcast series, I have the pleasure of introducing Ilza Wolf, who co-directs Wolf Architects with her husband, Heinrich Wolf. They established their architecture practice as a vehicle for addressing social inequalities, as well as the erasure of indigenous landscapes and narratives. In 2017, Wolf Architects was commissioned to design the exhibition architecture for African mobilities. This is not a refugee camp at the Architecture Museum at TU Mention in close collaboration with myself. The design was awarded the Silver Design Distinction Award from the International Federation of Interior Design in 2019. But that's not all that distinguishes Ilza as an extraordinary designer, thinker and architect. She's also the author of a 2017 book titled Unstitching Rick's True Form, the story of an African factory that narrates the story of a modernist garment factory as a site for readings of race, gender and space. In 2018, Ilza was shortlisted for the Architecture Review's Moira Gimmel Award, and between 2017 and 2019, she was a fellow at the University of the Western Cape Center for the Humanities Research. She also co-founded a really interesting publication platform called Pamphlet, Architecture, Art and Stuff, which focuses on black, social and spatial imaginaries. At their space in the Burkhop, they've hosted exhibitions, lectures and talks, all concerned mainly as a way of developing and enduring public culture around the city, space and personhood. I started this podcast by asking Ilza Wolf about her own design philosophy and also her design process for African mobilities. She, in turn, very quickly turned the conversation towards our collaboration on the project. I, I feel like our collaboration is very much around, uh, can very much be compared to a kind of a jazz band, you know, where you have a curator, you've got your musicians, you've got your, your groove, you know, you've got your thing. And everybody's got the instrument, but it's it's being led by, obviously, you know, this is now obviously African Mobility is the jazz band and pause the you know, the bringer of everybody together. Um, and we've all got our instruments, you know, and you you then basically sort of, you know, we we perform in that in that space. Um so so that's and that takes a lot of that takes a lot of trust, which you've you've given us, you know, it's amazing and it and it gives gives you a certain freedom, you know, there's a there's a beautiful sort of your curatorial statement was, you know, the score of this jazz band. You know, there's a score, there's like a nice kind of notation. We know the rhythm, we know the kind of jazz content, we know we know the musicality, the harmony. But within that there's a kind of an improvisation that is allowed, you know. And that's 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 kind of me around music was such a way of of, of you know being um a kind of a, a kind of a analogy to your process, you know, and our practice is very much in line with that, you know. So trying to think through what is the kind of rhythms, what's the uh, what what is the instruments we're going to use? We don't necessarily use the same instruments for every single you know piece, you know. So it's how does one how does one negotiate that, and how does one perform within that structure? The status of the archive was something that was constantly shifting for me. Right, that it was about this is a this is an archive for the future. It's a capsule to the future, and it's also just so that, like for me, African mobilities was also so much about producing a para curriculum 
all of the stuff, all of the stuff that doesn't make it into the syllabus, but that's actually like at the, you know, it's like the stuff that hits you in the gut or that's like constantly haunting you. It's always in the atmosphere. So it's like, how, how do we, how do we capture all of the stuff that's happening in our urban environments? Um, but that somehow doesn't seem to register in what is considered, you know, legitimate architectural knowledge or urban knowledge. It's so incredible to me that you would use a jazz analogy for um, the design and curatorial practice because the whole time I've been like in a state of complete angst because I'm not like an architect with a capital A. I don't have a master plan. I just know these incredible people who do amazing work and I'm just like, let's, let's do this thing. And I'm not, I don't always have like an a priori understanding about like what they're going to do but also rhythm and composition is such an interesting analogy. And it's one that I, that I discussed very briefly with Abdul Malik Simon in a, in a very different discussion about how to read African urban spaces, where, where I was saying to him, you know, when I read your work and I read the way that you interpret um, different African urban environments, for me, it feels like I'm reading music. And then you talked a lot about the kind of the compositional, the, improv the improvisational. And I remember like having such a strong sense of that in his own work. So the idea that you would read music in, in my method is, is incredible because jazz has actually been the soundtrack to my entire life. You know, <laughs> I grew up like five years old and like my dad would be blasting Miles Davis on a Saturday morning. So it's, it's like the most normal thing for me to wake up to the sound of jazz music. Um, and it kind of, it kind of um, regulates the way that I, I think and move in, in the world. But I also know that when you were designing the exhibition, that there was a song that you listened to consistently. The soundtrack for African mobilities for me was to listen to one instrument, which is the piano. I find the piano very soothing as a way of working through, you know, like this kind of single, uh, you know, melody and, you know, the piano. And in particular, Moses Mulalekwa. There's one album that I came across during the process of this project, which was Darkness Pass. And it's incredibly meditative, you know, and I think there's a kind of a meditative process that you need to force yourself into when you're tackling a creative project. Because, you know, studios can be chaotic, um, trying to manage that process and manage people and you've got to make that silence. But the silence is also, it needs to be programmed. I mean, I'm also thinking about the way that, um, you know, music is often described as the space between the notes. And how when we were first sort of ideating or, you know, conceptualizing the exhibition design, my my first impulse was that, you know, this idea of movement is different for, for racialized bodies, right? That, that it's, that it's not, it's never just a sort of straight line from point A to point B, but it's filled with like pauses and interruptions and, and how, and how the experience of the exhibition should also be about these moments of pause or these moments of interruption. Um, and how that sort of really sort of permeated the entire sort of conceptualization of the space, how people move, the idea of pause at different moments was really um, interesting. And it was quite a shift away from 
some of the linear narratives that we've seen around, um, you know, museum museum narratives of South African history in particular, right? That it's 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 quite it's quite teleological in its structure, and then everything is illuminated. So so this idea of like what it what what those how those pauses are constituted and how they are articulated is something that was really interesting for me to observe in your own design practice and those maquettes, like many, many different maquettes that, that you produced. Um, can you t- just tell me a bit more about your process? I want to pick, pick up on this idea that you just brought up, which is this idea of linearity, you know, and at, uh, really this is, this is where our 20-odd year friendship really uh, was, is useful because we all saw that as young students and we all hated it. We hated it, you know. We couldn't, like, it was just like, we, we just didn't like this very neat way of arriving at something and the something wasn't satisfactory. And I think we, we're kind of talking about the kind of museum designs that we were fed at architecture school in the 2000s and, you know, the late 90s and so on. Um, and it was it was a, it was a particular moment for our country, and it was you know we were right in the middle of that. You know, suddenly we needed we needed uh, we needed these spatial practices to to accommodate the rainbow nation. You know, and the rainbow nation needed a a neat neat linear story. The the jazz thing really comes in again. You know, you've got your instruments, you've got your you know your, your your very simple materials, and you make you make you you do fun things with it, you know, and you kick against and you and you use it to improvise, you know, and then from there you begin the process of composition, um, which is what we did, you know, we did it together. In some ways, the even the design process helps to shape the curatorial strategy, particularly as it relates to Munich, right? Because I was like, they're all of these locations. And none of them conform to some kind of like meta narrative. Like not everything can be contained within a single narrative arc. So even even your whole process of sort of composition and finding linkages where I where I didn't necessarily see them was was really helpful in terms of like sharpening sharpening it out. And it was also something that something that I felt you brought to 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 the practice and the exhibition is this kind of. S- the idea of the sensory, right? So you're like, yeah, these these projects kind of have an affinity, or there's a family resemblance around questions of water, and I had never I hadn't actually seen that connection in quite the same way because I'm still actually trained to think in a very structural, super linear way. Talking about sensory experiences, we spoke a lot about this idea of delaying the experience. Remember. You know, we wanted we wanted to have this, not this quick walkthrough. You know, which is the kind of norm with exhibition work. We wanted people to sit. We wanted people to read books, and that's where the Chimaringa Library came in very um, strategically. That we allowed for that space just to be. In the next segment, I talk to Ilza Wolf about her use of humble materials in order to assemble an archive that reconstitutes and reassembles forgotten and subjugated histories. What is pamphlet and where did it begin? Why did it begin? Pamphlet is a magazine that 
Well, it's it's a book. It's a book series, you know, that I started with a friend of mine. And we did two editions together, um, Gary Olis and Alabama. Um, and he's an artist. I think you know him, Kimang Waleoleri. And we just started exper- experimenting around um, how do we publish research, like around the things that we've been t- talking about. It was inspired by a conversation that I read between him, between Kimang and Kwezi Gule, where they were just writing letters to each other around their ideas. And the conversation aspect of me, of, of, of that, of that, um, that exchange was, was, I thought could be, um, beautiful in talking about issues of like loss, social imagination, forced removals, all of that, you know, because these things have become quite, you know, institutionalized in a way, you know, academics, museums, those kinds of things have taken over that narrative in a way. How do we as individuals begin to lament and meditate over that stuff? Um, and how do we then make it, make it into a public culture, you know, through a publication? So the pamphlet is, 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 it's like an object of obsession around one research topic and very often around a spatial practice of some kind. I'm interested in this idea of working with very humble materials because I remember when you first proposed it, I was just like, we're not working with humble materials. People always want to use humble materials when they talk about Africa. But it actually also allows a lot of freedom. And I've seen the way that you've, you've done this with pamphlet as well. Right, that this is also, it's not just an African mobilities method, but it's something that cuts across many of your other practices. And I'm wondering what that does for you as, as a method and, and where it comes from. Freedom is exactly, you know, that's, it's that, it's that kind of search for freedom. I don't want to be bogged down if, if I, I don't want to be bogged down with like technological, um, obstacles. You know, if I want to, if you want to do something, we can all write something. We can all put a book together. You know, e- eventually it will have some technological contribution towards the project, but a lot of the time the technology actually overbears the whole thing and sometimes even kills it. You know, so, um, it's to find that balance of, of high tech technology. And I'm talking here with about like digital platforms, like, you know, software, like, you know, all our magazines go through this process of desktop publishing. Why? And it all looks the same, you know, it all looks like it feels the same, you know. So, and yeah, again, you know, we learn from people like Chimarenga, you know, they've got this kind of like, obviously everything is, is eventually digital and digitized, but there is a process of personal, um, you know, you can see the personal within the process, you know, through like drawings or handwritten things and, you know, pasting in images and all that, you know. So I think it's important for us to see ourselves in the work, um, to just be able to be able to make it ourselves too, you know. It's also just such a beautiful way of producing an archive, right? Especially for a project that has become even much more, like the Munich stuff, a lot of the work was digital. But with, with African Mobilities 2.0, the entire project was completely digital. So the question around, like, how does one move from this kind of dematerialized terrain to uh, producing an archive that can survive all of the technological disruptions that are ahead of us is an interesting way. And the fact that for you, at, even at the very inception of the project, it was like to produce this pamphlet 
and a document of the conversation is is a very interesting way to think about it. And before we had gone through this entire arc, right, from starting in 2017 to closing it out in 2020. The pamphlet sort of evolved around tape and as a way of like finding other ways to bind the paper. Um, a friend of mine introduced me to the work of Bruno Monari, who was like a 1960s Italian designer and um, educator. I mean, he educated kids over um, over the television in Italy, and they were always making books, you know. And this this tape thing came through that, you know, through that process of making books with, you know. So it's it's kind of also like how do we how do we tap into our our childhood of how we made things, you know, and um, being a little bit casual about it, you know, and I just, I just really like tearing tape, you know, and that sound that it makes. And I started investigating what are the other kind of materials out there that one can do that, you know, it becomes this kind of material study and then it becomes what could the tape represent if we are using it to represent things in African mobility. So the black tape sometimes represented in the models, TV screens, monitors, or, you know, how things fold through, you know, and, um, it became quite a like a motive in a way, you know, in the process that can scales up and down. And also, what I really found interesting with African mobilities was is that it it's in a continuum. It's a continuum of projects, you know. It's a continuum of um, it's, it was a, it was really a moving exhibition, you know, moving in both sense, you know. Like I was moved in a kind of emotional sense, but also it was moving, you know, the whole time. You were going from city to city and I was just in awe of this project that's so mobile. Ilza, thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure talking to you um, about work stuff and non-work stuff. I always learn so much from you and I've really enjoyed learning with you throughout this African mobilities journey. And I hope that this is actually only the beginning of what has been a very long friendship and what I hope will be the beginning of an even longer collaboration with you and Wolf Architects. And to you, gentle listener, thank you so much for listening to the African Mobilities podcast series for your engagement, for your enthusiasm and support for this initiative. The African Mobilities podcast series was made possible with the support of the Goethe Institute in partnership with the School of Architecture and Planning and the WITS Institute for Social and Economic Research at the University of the Witwatersrand as well as the Andrew Mellon Foundation.